Hey everyone, I have a time-sensitive announcement to share with you. Earlier this month, LifeSite was hit with another online censorship attack, this time on TikTok, after publishing the truth about the corrupt administration in the United States. In fact, LifeSite is still permanently banned on Facebook, and our main YouTube channel was wiped out, which is why we are only on the John Henry Weston Show YouTube channel. So, this is because the prince of this world hates the truth, and we at LifeSite are committed to bringing you the fullness of the truth even if the globalists and atheists don't want you to hear it. To help us push forward with our truth-telling mission, I urge you to join us during this special Advent and Christmas season with your prayers and almsgiving. Help us at LifeSite build a culture of life for you, your children, your grandchildren, in the face of massive opposition. By uniting your prayers and your giving with us at LifeSite, you promote our pro-life and pro-family mission of building a culture of life around the world. In fact, when you support LifeSite, I urge you to write a prayer in our comment box. It's a perfect way to infuse your prayer and almsgiving with a charity like LifeSite that you can trust, knowing that we will personally read and pray over all your intentions. We need your prayers and almsgiving now more than ever. We at LifeSite must reach our end-of-the-year fundraising goal, and we have no corporate sponsor, which makes LifeSite's grassroots support from people like you miraculous. So please, as you listen to today's interview, click in the donation link at the top in the description of this video and offer your almsgiving and prayer to LifeSite News. This is the moment we need all of our viewers, even first-time viewers. Join the mission for life, faith, family, and freedom with LifeSite. Join us now with a financial gift of any amount by clicking the first link in the description below and be a force for good in the world. Also, don't forget to pray with your financial gift. Every little bit helps. So thank you, and may God bless you. Do you remember when Pope Francis cut up large families? Well, he did. Do you remember when Pope Francis promoted contraception? Well, he did. Those things sound totally unbelievable, but we're going to give you the evidence for it right here and right now. This is John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, one of the most disturbing things that happened early on in the pontificate of Pope Francis was a seeming jibe at large families. And this hurt people very, very much. It's hard even to imagine a pope doing this, so just watch the evidence for yourself. The very first command God gave to man at his creation recorded in Genesis 1.28 was this. And God blessed them, saying, Increase and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the air and all living creatures that move upon the earth. God is the author of life. As the scriptures teach, he opens the womb. As we read in Genesis 29, and we see again in the account of Abraham and Sarah, the parents of Isaac, and also Zachary and Elizabeth, parents of John the Baptist in the New Testament. Children are a blessing, and in procreation, parents cooperate with God in creating new souls for heaven, and it's a glorious teaching. This constant teaching of the church is what led to one of the greatest compliments to motherhood ever penned, that by Cardinal Joseph Mincenti, the great apostle against communism. Cardinal Mincenti said, and I quote, 
The most important person on earth is a mother. She cannot claim the honor of having built Notre Dame Cathedral. She need not. She has built something more magnificent than any cathedral, a dwelling for an immortal soul, the tiny perfection of her baby's body. Even the angels have not been given such a grace. What is more glorious than this to be a mother?" End quote. So, to get back to Pope Francis, have a look at this video of what he said, transmitted by news services all over the world. Some think that, excuse me if I use this word, that in order to be good Catholics, we have to be like rabbits. No. Responsible paternity, that is clear. This was said during a Q&A session on the Pope's return flight from Rome from the Philippines on January 19, 2015. The journalist asked the Pope about the Church's teaching on contraception in light of the large number of children in the Philippines, which some believe have resulted in severe poverty. The Pope began his answer, noting that it's important to have three children in order to sustain the population. So watch this extended clip with subtitles so you can see his emphasis, which actually makes clear his meaning. Some people defended the Pope's words here with what seemed like really a mental contortion, suggesting that the Pope was just saying that having a large number of children by C-sections is irresponsible, as he said. But somehow wasn't suggesting that having a large number of children itself was irresponsible. But as you saw yourself, that explanation does not fit the context nor the content of the Pope's remarks. But more than that, it's contradicted by the witness of the new push to have fewer children coming from the Vatican under Pope Francis. It was at a 2017 Vatican conference where a Vatican bishop, who's a close advisor to the Pope, called for education for women so they'd have one or two children rather than seven or more. That sounds incredible. It was Bishop Marcelo Sanchez Sorondo, who hails from Pope Francis's homeland of Argentina. And he's the chancellor, actually, of the two academies, Vatican academies, the Pontifical Academy for Social Sciences and the Pontifical Academy for Sciences. And I know it sounds hard to believe that he said this, but I want you to listen to it yourself because he's speaking at the Vatican in English, albeit broken English. The idea of the church that we need education because it's not only the, the, the ends of the, of, the, of, the, of the marriage, it's not only 
to have children, but to educate the children and also the, 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 the person to, to, to have children, the, the woman and the man. And the, many, many priests say to me that the great solution for the question of, of procreation is the education of the women. Because when we have education, we don't have children. We don't have seven children. Maybe we have one children, two children, no more. Did you catch that? Because when you have education, we don't have seven children. Maybe we have one children, two children, no more. That's unbelievable coming from a Vatican bishop. And this is the head of two Vatican academies. Bishop Sarando has invited many other speakers to the Vatican who advocate having fewer children. Watch Professor Wan Tse Li, a member of the Pontifical Academy for Sciences, speaking at the 2017 Vatican Conference, rejoicing over the massive decline in the numbers of elementary school children due to population decline over 20 years. You see, um, if you just follow the uh, religious belief or philosophical thinking, you said the population were to go down. In Taiwan, it's amazing. When I went back in 1994, 400,000 students entered elementary school. This year, it's only 200,000. We're done by a factor too. And if you think that's bad, it just gets worse. The Vatican has brought in a laundry list of population control activists, many of whom include abortion as an appropriate means of population control. The Vatican has invited population control advocate Jeffrey Sachs to the Vatican to speak on numerous occasions. He called legalizing abortion a cost-effective way to eliminate unwanted children when contraception fails. And that was in his 2008 book, Commonwealth Economics for a Crowded Planet. The Vatican invited John Bongartz, the vice president of the pro-abortion population control pushing Population Council to speak at their biological extinction conference. The Vatican even invited the likes of California Governor Jerry Brown, one of the most pro-abortion governors in the United States, to speak. Brown, in a 2010 campaign speech, said he'd been, and I quote, an uncompromising champion of woman's right to choose and would continue to do so if elected governor, end quote. I could go on and on with scandalous speakers invited the Vatican such as pro-abortion UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, Professor Scott Peters, a member of the US House of Representatives, who actually in 2013 co-sponsored one of the most pro-abortion bills in US history, eliminating all limitations on abortion. There was also Professor Lise Van Susteren, who in her 2005 run for the US Senate voiced staunch support for abortion and homosexual marriage. There was also California State Senator Kevin DeLeon, who revels in his 100% pro-abortion voting record from Planned Parenthood. But even more outrageous than all of them was the invite to speak for the so-called father of the population control movement, Paul Ehrlich, who penned the 1968 scaremongering book, The Population Bomb. LifeSite News actually delivered a petition of more than 10,000 signatures asking the Pope to rescind Ehrlich's invitation. But he spoke nevertheless at the Vatican on February 27th 2017. The biggest problem we face is continual expansion of the human enterprise. You know, I would love to see hundreds of trillions of human beings live over the next few million years rather than see if we can cram uh, 11 uh, billion in by 
2110, uh, uh, and then let the whole thing go down the drain. I mean, the sustainability is talked about a lot, but a lot of people talk about things like sustainable growth. Uh, perpetual growth is the creed of the cancer cell, uh, and we really have to look at the size of the human enterprise uh, and think about uh, why we're doing these things. Ehrlich champions sex-selective abortion as well as mass forced sterilization as legitimate methods to curb population control. He did this in his book, The Population Bomb, Ecoscience, Population Resources, Environment, on page 837. As he said, and I quote, he has said, nobody in my view has the right to have 12 children or even three unless the second pregnancy is twins, end quote. Ehrlich has been inimical to the Catholic Church and her teachings on life, especially under the pontificates of John Paul II and Benedict XVI. In 2014, he wrote that the Catholic Church's moral teachings are, quote, just as unethical as a terrorist act. Not surprisingly, though, Ehrlich is fond of Pope Francis. He actually told LifeSite in an interview, and I quote, I'm thrilled with the new pope moving the church in the right direction, end quote. Cardinal Raymond Burke reacted to Ehrlich speaking at the Vatican, saying it, it's simply a scandal. He said, and I quote, I'm scandalized by it, and I don't see how any good Catholic wouldn't be scandalized by that. I just don't understand it. In reality, the world is experiencing a population impl implosion, a demographic winter, if you will. Due to their population control measures, China and India have a massive 70 million woman deficit. That's 70 million men without wives. That's the equivalent of the whole population of the UK or of France with all men and no women at all. Imagine the risks that poses. Already various nations are reporting an epidemic of loneliness. The German news magazine Der Spiegel reported that gerontology researchers have linked the epidemic of loneliness among the elderly to a contraceptive mentality. They said, and I quote, the fact that more and more people are opting not to have children threatens to worsen the isolation experienced by older people. Indeed, childlessness significantly increases the risk of loneliness, end quote. That's from the German Center of Gerontology, Director Clemens Tesch-Römer. And in Germany, over 20% of the people aged over 70 have regular contact with only one person or none. Over two million Germans aged over 80 live alone. One in four receives a visit less than once a month from friends and acquaintances, and nearly one in 10 is not visited by anyone anymore. Der Spiegel reported that in 2013 already. According to the New York Times, 4,000 elderly Japanese now die alone every week. And every year, there are new stories in Japan of people who die alone in their homes. Often their deaths go unnoticed and unremarked for weeks or months, rent and utility payments silently flowing out of the deceased person's bank account until finally neighbors complain about a bad smell. There's actually now a Japanese business whose business is to clean apartments after the corpses of lonelies are discovered in them. There's also the Islamic takeover, and I quote, if you want to see the face of Europe in 100 years, barring a miracle, look to the faces of young Muslim immigrants, end quote. That was said by Philadelphia Archbishop Charles Chaput at a 2017 Napa Institute conference. Islam, he said, has a future because Islam believes in children. 
Finally, with our antinatalist culture, we are also depriving young married couples of the few years they have to beget children. That short space of time, some 20 years, flies by, as we know, once we reach middle age. So many young people realize today, only after it's too late, the joy of having children, of having many children. God is indeed the author of life. It's indeed a command to be fruitful and multiply, but it's also a blessing. I'd like to conclude this episode of the John Henry Weston Show with a personal testimony because this issue is so close to home for my wife and I. I pray this testimony demonstrates for you, as it does for us, that God opens the womb, that God loves large families, and that he indeed gives children as a blessing to be lovingly received and will give you the needed grace to raise your children as citizens for heaven. So my wife and I are the parents of eight living children, but my wife conceived 11 children and lost three to miscarriage. The first child who died, Stefano, was miscarried on my wife's birthday, and she felt God had forgotten about her, especially since she lost a child on her birthday. We learned of the death of the second child we lost, Bernadette, on another day when gifts are received, rather than taken away, our 16th wedding anniversary. Likewise, we learned of the death of the third child, Jesse Emanuel, on Christmas Eve, when our family normally celebrates Christmas and gift-giving. By this point, my wife expressed to God that all these gifts were taken from her on days that she should be receiving gifts, had he indeed forgotten her. So my wife begged God that within a year she would be able to have another child and that this child should live. And one year later, we found ourselves hosting a New Year's Eve party attended by six couples, some of our closest friends actually, and at the party, five of the women were newly pregnant. And unbeknownst to me, that was a very heavy burden on my wife, and so she went away privately and wept. You forgot somebody, Lord, she prayed silently through her tears. You've given the gift of life to all those beautiful daughters of yours out there, but you've forgotten one. You forgot me. And a few weeks later, we actually learned that she too was with child, and although we did not know it, at the time she was pregnant at that New Year's Eve party as well. Having had three miscarriages in a row, ultrasounds were very routine, and one of them showed that the child was a boy. And then we were actually perplexed. You see, we already had five boys, and um, a family tradition of, a, um, of giving each child three names. So we had already used up 15 boy names. And so after a while, my wife suggested that we name uh, the baby Zachariah. But I preferred the English version, Zachary, and uh, we could not agree, so we debated back and forth for some time. Now, one of my wife's friends uh, called my wife to relay a dream that she had. She said, Diane, don't worry. She dreamt that our baby was born alive, but also that Diane and I were arguing about the name of the baby. John Henry was insisting the name should be Zachary, and you were saying Zachariah, she said. Yet, we had not told any about, anybody about the debate over the names. Diane and I felt the dream was a kind of heavenly confirmation that Zachariah, or Zachary, uh, was to be the name God intended for the child. It was then that Diane decided to investigate the meaning of the name Zachary, or Zachariah. As she googled the name, tears began to stream down her face as the meaning of the name appeared on the screen. Zachariah means the Lord remembers. Her prayer 
Lord, have you forgotten me, was indeed answered. Just a quick note before we return. If you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family, and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now, back to the video. And wouldn't it be really, really weird if that same pope who cut up large families also went against the church's perennial teaching against contraception? It's, by John Paul's account, an intrinsic evil. That means an evil that can never, ever be done under any circumstances for any excuse whatsoever. And yet, here's what Pope Francis had to say on the question. In a March 2014 interview with Corriera de la Sera, Francis said that the question of birth control must be answered not by, quote, changing the doctrine, but by, quote, making pastoral ministry take into account the situations which it is possible for people to do. Speaking of Paul VI's Humanae Vitae, Pope Francis said, Paul VI himself at the end recommended to confessors much mercy and attention to concrete situations, end quote. During a November 2015 press conference on his return flight from Africa, Pope Francis was asked, and I quote, Is it not time for the Church to change its position on the matter, to allow the use of condoms to prevent more infections? In his response, Pope Francis stated, and I quote, Yes, it is one of the methods. The moral of the Church on this point is found here faced with a perplexity, the fifth or the sixth commandment defend life, or that sexual relations are open to life." End quote. He continued with these quotes. But this isn't the problem. The problem is bigger. A little later he said, This question makes me think the one they asked Jesus. Tell me, teacher, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Is it obligatory to heal? The question, is doing this lawful? A little bit later he added to this response, but malnutrition, development of the person, slave labor, the lack of drinking water, these are the problems. Let's not talk about can one use the type of patch or that for a small wound. The serious wound is social injustice, environmental injustice. A little later he added, I think the trafficking of arms, when these problems are no longer there, I think then we can ask the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Because if the trafficking of arms continues, wars are the biggest cause of mortality. And he said, I would say not to think about whether it's lawful or not to heal on the Sabbath. I would say to humanity, make justice. And when all are cured, when there's no more injustice, then we can talk about the Sabbath. And there are more recent examples as well. In April 2018, an Argentinian religious sister, acclaimed for her work against trafficking and exploitation of children said publicly that Pope Francis told her that responsible parenthood requires contraception in some cases. In an interview with the Argentinian radio program Cronica Annunciada, Carmelite missionary sister Martha Poloni said Pope Francis, quote, told me three words, end quote, about the need for responsible parenthood among the poor rural women, quote, condoms, transitory and reversible. 
Sister Poloni, who is opposed to abortion, said that the Pope told her various forms of contraception could be permissible to prevent poor women from choosing abortion. She included condoms, a diaphragm, and as a last resort, which is what we advise for rural women that we serve because I have a foundation for the peasantry, tuba ligation, end quote. And she said again, if there is sex education and state responsibility to care for women in poverty, we do not need to decriminalize abortion because it will not be necessary to have an abortion, end quote. That was the superior of the Carmelite missionaries. The Vatican neither confirmed nor denied the Pope's comments to Sister Poloni. In fact, LifeSite News contacted Vatican spokesman Greg Burke for comment, but received no response. But the most devastating contradiction of the Church's teaching came in 2016, when on his February return flight from Mexico, the Pope was asked by one reporter whether the Church can, I quote, take into consideration the concept of the lesser of two evils, end quote, and he was talking about when it comes to the question of presenting pregnancy or to avoid transmission of the AIDS virus. Well, the Pope opened his answer by categorically condemning abortion as a solution to the Zika virus, but on the question of avoiding pregnancy, he added, and I quote, We are speaking in terms of the conflict between the Fifth and the Sixth Commandment. The great Paul VI, in a difficult situation in Africa, permitted sisters to use contraception for cases of rape, end quote. He said, and I quote again, Avoiding pregnancy is not an absolute evil. End quote. And he said again, quote, in certain cases, as in this one, such as the one I mentioned of Blessed Paul VI, it was clear. Now, the Pope's answer in the apparent parallel he drew between the case of the nuns' use of contraception and the case of the use of contraception in cases of Zika virus has widely led to the interpretation that the Pope was approving the use of contraception in some cases. In fact, many of the media went to Vatican spokesman Federico Lombardi for clarification, and on February 19th, he affirmed, in fact, that the Holy Father was indeed speaking of condoms and contraceptives, and he said couples could rightly, and I quote, avoid pregnancy, end quote, in the wake of the Zika virus scare. Father Lombardi told Vatican Radio that the contraceptive or condom in particular cases of emergency or gravity could be the object of discernment in serious cases of conscience. This is what the Pope said, end quote. According to Father Lombardi, the Pope spoke of, quote, the possibility of taking recourse to contraception or condoms in cases of emergency special, uh, or special situations. He is not saying that this is a possibility is accepted without discernment. Indeed, he said clearly that it can be considered in cases of special urgency, end quote. As LifeSite writer Matthew Hoffman pointed out, this appears to be an almost perfect contradiction to Paul VI. In fact, Humanae Vitae seemed to perfectly anticipate the arguments made by Pope Francis. Neither is it valid to argue as a justification for sexual intercourse, which is deliberately contraceptive, that a lesser evil is to be preferred to a greater one. End quote. A little bit later on in Humanae Vitae, Pope Paul VI said, Though it is true that sometimes it is lawful to tolerate a lesser moral evil in order to avoid a greater evil or in order to promote a greater good, it is never lawful, even for the gravest reasons, to do evil that good may come of it. In other words, to intend directly something which is 
of its very nature contradicts the moral order and which must therefore be judged unworthy of man even though the intention is to protect or promote the welfare of an individual or family or society in general. Although Paul VI recognized the lesser of evils might be tolerated for the sake of avoiding greater evils, he expressly condemned the notion that one could morally defend an act of contraception which he calls, and I quote, intrinsically wrong, by claiming that a lesser evil is to be preferred to a greater one. This appears to be the precise reasoning of Pope Francis. The Holy Bible itself indicates that God hates contraception. As the encyclical Casti Conubi says, God, and I quote, regards with greatest detestation this horrible crime and at times has punished it with death. As St. Augustine notes, and I quote, intercourse even with one's legitimate wife is unlawful and wicked where the conception of the offspring is prevented. Onan, the son of Judah, did this and the Lord killed him for it. End quote. The rejection of God's command to be fruitful and multiply, the very first command given in the scriptures to mankind in Genesis 1.28. In our current day, this can be seen as the heart of the attack on marriage and the family. The late Cardinal Kafara revealed at our Rome Life Forum a couple of years ago now that this attack is actually the fulfillment of the prophecy of Our Lady of Fatima about the, and I quote, final battle between our Lord and the reign of Satan. Humane Vitae warned of many of the consequences of the acceptance of contraception in ways which make it look like a prophetic document today. The encyclical warned of four resulting trends. A general lowering of moral standards throughout society, a rise in infidelity, a lessening of respect for women by men, and the coercive use of reproductive technologies by governments. Of course, these things have all happened. A general lowering of moral standards is painfully obvious today. Paul VI warned, and I quote, another effect that gives cause for alarm is that a man who grows accustomed to the use of contraceptive methods may forget the reverence due to a woman and disregarding her physical and emotional equilibrium reduce her to being a mere instrument for the satisfaction of his own desires." End quote. Compare that to when the Anglican Church at the Lambeth Conference in 1930 gave a very tentative, shy kind of approval to contraception. When the Anglicans first approved contraception in 1930 at the Lambeth Conference, it was done with words and sentiments actually very similar to the justifications for second marriage without annulment uh, provided in Amoris Laetitia. At the Lambeth Conference, the Anglican leadership didn't just plainly say contraception is now permitted, they actually pointed to hard cases and employed many heart-rending justifications to get what was the first breach against openness to life in the Christian world. And I quote from it, where there is clearly felt moral obligation to limit or avoid parenthood, the method must be decided on Christian principles, said the Lambeth Statement. It, it continued this way, and I quote, the primary and obvious me method is complete abstinence from intercourse as far as may be necessary. In a life of discipline and self-control lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, 
Nevertheless, in those cases where there is such clearly felt moral obligation to limit or avoid parenthood, and where there is a morally sound reason for avoiding complete abstinence, the conference agrees that other methods may be used provided that this is done in the light of the same Christian principles. The conference records its strong con condemnation of the use of any methods of conception control from motives of selfishness, luxury, or mere convenience." End quote. Wow, doesn't that sound familiar for all those who have read Amoris Laetitia? But nonetheless, despite all of the Christian-sounding justifications presented at the Lambeth Conference, the Catholic Church at the time pronounced its judgment on the Anglican decision in Pope Pius XI's encyclical Casti Canubi. Pope Pius XI lambasted the Lambeth Conference approval of contraception. Even though he didn't name the Anglicans, he made it eminently clear to whom he was referring. In paragraph 56 of Casti Canubi, the Pope described the Lambeth decision as, and I quote, openly departing from the uninterrupted Christian tradition for, and I quote again, another doctrine which constitutes moral ruin. Now, the decision, he said, the Pope said, defiled the chastity of marriage with a, quote again, foul stain. Pope Pius's conclusion on the point bears repeating for all of us to hear, and even more urgently today than it was necessary in his time. He said, and I quote, this is in Casti Canubi again, any use whatsoever of matrimony exercised in such a way that the act is deliberately frustrated in its natural power to generate life is an offense against the law of God and of nature, and those who indulge in such are branded with the guilt of grave sin." End quote. Remember, at LifeSite News, we're about caritas and veritate, the love and truth. Do you love Pope Francis enough to pray and fast for him to end the confusion that he has caused? Will you write to him and beg him to end this confusion for his sake, for the sake of the church, for the sake of your children and grandchildren? It's the charitable thing to do. This is why at LifeSite News, we have been so concerned about the situation in the church while we've been begging cardinals and bishops and priests to confront what's going on in the church today, to take a stand, to resist Pope Francis. Just as biblically it was done by St. Paul, he resisted St. Peter to his face. We are way beyond the need to resist, so we must do it ourselves because we don't see many of the cardinals and bishops standing up to defend the faith. It's your and my responsibility, dear friends, dear Catholics. That's why we pray every day for the conversion of Pope Francis. For LifeSite News, I'm John Henry Weston, and may God bless you. Every single day, there are new developments in the culture war. You need to stay on top of the news from the front lines around the world. At LifeSite, it's actually our mission to serve you the truth on life, faith, family, and freedom so that you can be an effective soldier for Christ. Subscribe now and never miss an important development in the culture war that you need to know about, all from a faithful Catholic perspective. And check out the links below to get involved with our reporting and our pro-life partners. Thank you and God bless you.